Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2015 Men's Advance. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. He's a godly man, and he's a humble man, what we were talking about. He's learned to exalt the Lord, and I know he's going to bless you and minister to you. So this is Happy Caldwell from Little Rock, Arkansas. Appreciate you being about you. Hallelujah. How many of you are here this morning? I can tell. Wasn't that wonderful last night when we saw the uh, age from nine to 86 at a men's conference? I don't think I've ever seen that broad uh, of an age span. Well, that's the way it should be. The young men learn from the older men. And that's what the Bible teaches. And today, uh, we don't have as many good role models as we should. For some of you, Younger men, it might help you to know. You know, this outfit my wife bought for me, and uh, my granddaughters come down every year for my birthday and help me shop to keep me current <laughs> so that I don't get old and crotchety, you know. And I, I tried to wear the shirt out, but I just couldn't do it. Uh, but let me tell you why. <laughs> When I was a kid raised, and some of you identify with this, if I'd leave my shirt tail out, mom would say, tuck your shirt in, son. We had Sunday clothes. We had Sunday shoes. You couldn't wear your Sunday shoes any other time except Sunday. You couldn't wear your Sunday clothes. I know I tried to wear my Sunday shoes on Saturday. Mama said, no, those are Sunday shoes. It was built in us. And we need to, to learn from these things, not, you know, get stuck in a rut and tradition, not be willing to change. We're not married to methods. But there are certain things uh, that God has put in us. I was saved at the Grand Ole Opry, 1972. I didn't go there to get saved. I, got, uh, I went there to hear Johnny Cash. And uh, I didn't know that they were going to have a gospel radio program. Pastor Jimmy Snow, Evangel Temple Church, and Johnny and June were the guests. And, after the Friday night Opry, they gave an altar call and I went down. I got born again. Well, I was in this little store one day and I heard them playing your cheating heart over the loudspeaker system. And so I went up to these young girls that were standing there and I said, girls, I said, do you all know who that is? No. I said, that's Hank Williams. They said, who's that? I said, well, he was a famous country music singer. And I said, uh, do you all, have you ever heard of John Wayne? They said, no. Now, that's almost un-American, you know, when you, when you know. I said, how about Elvis Presley? They said, Elvis who? So this is a new generation that we're, that we're uh, ministering to. It, it might bless you to know, Brother Hagin told us this. Uh, he said before uh, he died, he got a letter from John Wayne. And John Wayne was thanking Brother Hagin, Kenneth E. Hagin Sr., for his books. He said, they have changed my life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that, you know, <laughs> when, when we get to heaven, the Duke might walk up to you and say, hello, pilgrim. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was so blessed last night, Andrew, by, his, by your message, and uh, I could personally identify with that. And as a, as a kind of a little footnote, 
Several years ago, James Robinson, Fort Worth, Texas, got delivered. And he went nationwide telling his story about how Milton Green, a carpet cleaner, had ministered deliverance to him. James said, it was like a claw in my brain that I'd had always. And he ministered deliverance to me. And he said, and I got set free. Well, James just went around the world telling everybody about it. Well, at one of Brother Copeland's Believers Conventions, this was several years ago, if you can remember when James had that experience. And James was in the audience. And so Brother Copeland said, James, come up here and share with folks and just take the service if you want to. Do whatever the Lord tells you to do. Well, James got on. He's an evangelist. You know, he got on a, a preaching and he started preaching about uh, pride and arrogance and how people need to repent. So he asked for people to come to the altar and repent and gave an altar call. But he said, now that does not exclude the minister section. The minister section was a section like right here in the front and I was sitting right over there. And he said, that doesn't exclude the minister's section. You ministers need to repent just as much as anybody else. The Lord spoke to my heart and said, I want you to get up and I want you to go down there. I said, Lord, I will, but why? So I got up. He never answered me. I got up. <laughs> I got in the aisle. So many people came down that I couldn't get to the front. And I got stuck in the aisle right there. And then James said, okay, everybody kneel down. So I knelt down. And I felt this hand come out of the minister's section. You know, I was right there by him. And, and this hand reached out and patted me on the back and said, bless him, Lord. And I was thinking, yeah, you probably ought to be down here with me. <laughs> so as I was kneeling there repenting, the Lord said, it's a pride buster, isn't it? He said, because every minister in that section whom you knew all saw you get up and come down here and kneel. Now, Andrew mentioned last night about those of us that have already made the initial step, like many of you did last night. But there are those of us that you have to periodically make a course change. Remember that? These course changes never stop until you become perfected in Christ Jesus. That's a lifelong journey. Now, legally, the grace side, we are perfect in Jesus. But the vital side of redemption, we're still living out our life every day. And so um, I want to share with you something that the Lord has uh, put on my heart today that I think will help you. Uh, it's not really about how to become the man of your wife's dreams. It's not about how to become the Marlboro man. It's not about how to become John Wayne. It's about how to become a man of the Spirit. Go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and verse 35. And I'll title this message this morning, What Manner of Man Are You? In Mark, chapter 4, verse 35, 
The same day, when the even was come, he said unto them, Let's pass over unto the other side. When they had set, sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. He was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? In other words, Master, we're dying here. You see what's happening? Are you not concerned about us? And Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, Rick Renner, a Greek scholar, said that if you'll study this out, what Jesus said to the wind and to the waves was, shh, be still. What do you say to a crying baby? Shh. Everybody say that all together. Shh. Has a kind of a calming effect. He was actually saying, stop this raging Go back to the original purpose for which you were created, which was not destruction. Peace. Be still. You say, Pastor Caldwell, you think, you think we have authority over nature? Yes. The Bible says that God has given us authority over all the work of his hands. He didn't create the wind to destroy he didn't create the waves. I've, I've served six years in the Navy, two years on two different ships, and I've ridden out a hurricane aboard a destroyer. Now, that's a ride. But, you know, when you're 20 years old, you don't have any sense. You're not afraid of anything because you're stupid. <laughs> and I got up topside. We were all confounded below decks. I got up topside and lashed myself in the bosun's locker, and I watched this hurricane. I mean, I was hollering and screaming. I could have been court-martialed if they'd have caught me, but they didn't. They don't even know it today. Don't tell them. <laughs> so Jesus spoke to the wind and spoke to the sea and said, Peace, be still. And there was a calm. Now here's the point. He said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? If I can paraphrase this, Why didn't you talk to the wind? Why didn't you speak to the sea? Why didn't you command the waves to cease? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this? So I ask you the question, what manner of man are you? What manner of man is this? He was the God man. He was all God, but he was all man. I heard somebody say one time, Jesus became a sinner. But that's not scripturally correct. For Jesus to have become a sinner, he would have had to do two things. He would have had to have been born of a man. And he was not born fathered by a man. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Two, or he would have had to have sinned. And the Bible says he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was not a sinner. He became sin, but he did not become a sinner. Jesus was all God. He was all man. He was as much a man as you are. 
even though he was the Son of God. And Philippians says that Jesus did not think it robbery to combine both his deity and his humanity. He didn't think it took away from his deity to become humanity. We are to be the same manner of man that Jesus is. The spirit man, the inner man, the hidden man of the heart. That's really what we're after. As young men, we want to be a man. And some, you know, people think being a man is chewing tobacco, drinking beer. Um, you know, we do all kinds of things to prove that we're a man. I know when I was a little boy, I wanted to chew tobacco. I thought that was the coolest thing. So my daddy, he went and bought a big chunk of bull of the woods. He cut off a chunk of it. He said, here, son, have a bite. Well, I thought it was going to taste like licorice. I chewed it a while. He said, now swallow it. Uh, you've been there. <laughs> oh, Lord, I, I had to go out in the alley behind our house and throw up. Sometimes we think that the things that constitute being a man are really not characteristics of being a man. Our model is Jesus. He is the manner of man that we want to be like. Now, Jesus was a flesh and blood physical man. He was son of God. Of course, he was made flesh. He was the word made flesh. He became humankind. He demonstrated what it means to be the manner of man that he is, a God man. And we can follow his example. People always ask me questions as a pastor, you know, well, what do you think about cremation? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about that? I said, well, and I even at one time wrote a, a column in the newspaper. They were always asking questions. What about this? What about that? I said, well, Jesus is our model. Just go to the gospels and find out what Jesus did, what he said, how he acted. Because Jesus said, I do what I uh, see my father do. And I speak and say what I hear my father say. And we should be just like that. We should be imitating him in everything that we do. I have a life-size picture of Jesus over my, in my office at home. Uh, it was painted uh, the 15th century Peruvian art. It's gorgeous. Jesus is being striped. The blood is flowing. And I, that's my prayer bench underneath that. And I pray. And one morning I was praying and all of a sudden this revelation came to me. In Christ, I have no identity of my own. In him I live and move and have my being. Oh yes, I'm Jeannie's husband, I'm Ronnie's father, I'm the church's pastor. I'm, but in Christ, I lose my identity. My identity is in him. Hello? When I get to, to the judgment seat of Christ, I want to hear Jesus say, well done. I, I don't want him to just look over me and say, well. There was a famous actor, I don't remember who it was, I've just heard the story, and he ran into somebody in the public square and they looked at him and said, ah, do you know who you are? <laughs> when we as men find out who we are, we won't be deceived by all the things of the world. Our wives and our families and our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our friends, everybody will be better off 
Amen. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. Now, he's not suggesting here that you sit quietly and never open your mouth. He's talking about the spirit of man. He says, the hidden man of the heart. That's the spirit man. And that which is not corruptible. Go over to Ephesians. Now, Andrew alluded to this last night and spent some time on it. I thought it was excellent. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. I used to hear people say all the time, in the pretense of humility. You know, there's such a thing as false humility, which is pride. And I'd hear them say, well, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. And what they meant was, we're unimportant. Well, if we were so unimportant, then why did Jesus come and die for us? Here, here's what the Lord showed me. Look at verse 3. And all, down, all the way down to verse 9, it says, Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings? Verse 4, He hath chosen us in Him. Verse 5, Having predestinated us to the adoption of children. Verse 6, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Verse 8, Wherein He hath abounded toward us. Verse 9, Having made known unto us. So God said to me, he said, everything I did was for you. Now watch this. Here's, here's the key. Here's what Andrew stressed last night. He said, it is about you, but what it's not about is self. It's not about self-centeredness. It's not about self-grandizement. It's not about self-exaltation. It's not about being self-centered. It's not about being self-fulfilled. My grandfather, who was born in 1889, and I had the privilege of spending many, many years with him, and I used to ask him questions. I wanted to know what life was about when he was a, a kid and growing up. And I used to tell him that, you know, he'd ask me, he said, well, happy did you enjoy such? I said, oh, yeah, grandfather. I said, I really enjoyed myself. He said, why? You shouldn't enjoy yourself. That puzzled me. I said, well, I did enjoy myself. But you'll eventually get to the point where self is really not what your life is all about. Being fulfilled selfishly is not being the manner of man that Jesus was. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And he wasn't praying, if it be thy will. People have ruined a lot of prayers by tacking if it be thy will on the end of it. Find out what the will of God is first and then pray according to his will. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Now go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, how many of you are in Christ? If any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Say a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. A paraphrase of this, and I like this, it says, we have become a new species of being 
that never existed before. We are the redeemed. There's nobody else that fits in this category of the new creature in Christ, a new species of being, except the redeemed. Say this out loud. I am the redeemed. You have been redeemed of God, purchased by his blood. That puts you in a category. You're not a Jew. You're not going to become a Jew. You're not a Jew outwardly. You're a Jew inwardly. Circumcision of the heart and the spirit. You're not going to live under the Old Testament law. If you read Andrew's last newsletter, he explains this so beautifully. You're not going to be required to do the things that they were required under the law. Christ hath redeemed us. It it doesn't mean that we look down on these things. It means that we look up. Our redemption draweth nigh. The fullness of our redemption is still to come. But we are the redeemed. The fullness of the redemption is already done legally. I think a lot of people would be helped if they understood the difference between the legal side of redemption and the vital side of redemption. Uh, Andrew describes it. Grace is what God's already done. The legal side of redemption is what God's already done for you. The vital side is where your faith connects. By faith, you access grace. So faith is important because you can't access grace, the legal side of redemption, what God's already done without faith. Faith is the access. Faith is our part. Faith is our our responsibility. And that's why we have to understand who we are in Christ and not get big-headed into thinking that we're more important or more sufficient than we really are. Our sufficiency is in Him. Um, In Romans chapter 9, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, My conscience bears witness in the Holy Ghost. Now, your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Uh, The Bible doesn't teach that we have a subconscious mind, but the Bible does teach we have a conscience. Your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Reason is the voice of your mind. And feeling is the voice of your body. If you learn to identify each one of these, you can become the manner of man that you're supposed to be. The hidden man of the heart. The spirit man leads, guides, and directs you. You are motivated by the spirit of God in your spirit. Paul said, my conscience, the voice of my spirit, bears me witness in the Holy Ghost. Go over to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and let's take a look at God's original intention here. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness and let man have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, or every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created him, male and female created them and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every herd-bearing seed, or seeding seed, which is upon 
of the earth. Every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you it shall be for me. He gave him authority over the works of his hands. Psalm 8 verifies that. He gives him the privilege of exercising that authority. Adam was the God of the garden. If Adam had exercised his authority as a God-man, when Satan barred the body of the serpent and came into the garden and started tempting Eve and lying to her, he would have discerned it and he would have said, in the name of the garden of the God, uh, uh, name of the God of the garden of God, get out of here. We'd still be living in that atmosphere today. The atmosphere of the garden. God's plan has not been changed because of Adam's sin. God's plan is still the same. And it's going to be fulfilled in its completion. All Adam's sin did was interrupt it for a while, for 6,000 years. But it is going to be completed one day. Now, here's our responsibility. As the redeemed, we are going to rule and reign with Christ forever, throughout eternity. So what we learn here and now, we're going to put to use in the dispensation of the redeemed. When we rule and reign with Christ, that's why it's so important. It's not just to become a better husband, a better father, a better businessman, a better this. It's to fulfill the plan of God for our lives. Amen. The spirit man walks after the spirit, not after the flesh. Now, this is not easy because your flesh wants to resurrect. Uh, if you fly on commercial airlines, you really get an opportunity to put this into practice. <laughs> I traveled through different parts of the world with Dr. Lester Sumrall, and I tell you what, it was an amazing thing. I, t I told him one time in Italy, I said, you know, this is, uh, we were talking about the airlines and the, all this stuff, and he said, if you're going to travel worldwide, he said, you have to learn to live in the spirit, not in the flesh, or it'll kill you, it'll destroy you. I mean, this is a man that traveled with Howard Carter at the turn of the century um, on muleback. And their agreement was is that they used their faith and they believed God for everything, each one of them. And one time, Brother Summerall was at the end of the mule train on the mule and he was sick and he fell off laid on the road for a whole night, woke up the next morning, everybody was gone. So he ran down to the village and went into the inn and there they all were sitting having breakfast. And Howard Carter looked up and said, oh, there you are. We thought we'd lost you. It was every man for himself. When my wife and son and I started in the ministry and Jeannie writes this in her book, we didn't have any money to buy anything, so she needed some new clothes. And so she just went in her closet, took all the clothes and went out and gave them to people. I said, what are you doing? She said, well, do you have any money to buy us clothes? I said, no. She said, well, I don't either. So I'm going to give and it'll be given unto us. Well, she was asked to speak at a ladies meeting. And this lady just happened to own a dress shop, she and her daughter. So after the meeting, she took Jeannie over to the dress shop and said, uh, would you like to browse through our dresses and stuff and you find anything you like, let me know. Jeannie said, oh, what am I going to do? I have no money to buy anything. 
So she looked, she came back, she said, well, did you find anything? She said, well, I saw a lot of pretty things. She said, well, here, uh, show me what you liked. She picked them out and she took all these dresses to the counter. Jeannie was thinking, how in the world am I going to get out of this? And the lady said, you know, we like to sow seed for our business. So I'd like you to have all these dresses. You take them home. Jeannie came home. She laid all those dresses out on the bed. Ronnie and I went in there and we looked and we said, where's ours? <laughs> and you know what she said? Use your own faith. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the way it was. Now we were together in unity, but some of us had different levels of faith at different times. The spirit man walks after the spirit. Go to Romans chapter 8 and let's look at verse 1 through 6. Are you all still here? Yes. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 6. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now watch here. Here's the conditions. Who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. If you walk in the flesh, you'll have condemnation. It's not God. God's not condemning you. The Bible says over in the epistles, it says, even if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. But if you walk in the flesh, your flesh will produce condemnation. For the law of the Spirit of life, verse 2, in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death was for the Old Testament people. It was, it was a, a covenant, a law that was for spiritually dead people. But the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus supersedes, makes us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Have you ever done anything in the flesh and you realized it later? It's not easy to transition from walking in the flesh to walking in the spirit because our whole life we are trained in the flesh instead of in the spirit. I know when I got saved the biggest challenge that I had was was realizing that God wanted to bless me and prosper me because I was raised with a poverty mindset. Everybody in my family was my grandfather, my father, everybody was but because you know, grandfather and my father went through the Great Depression and daddy went overseas and fought World War II, came home. You know, that was the greatest generation, rebuilt America. And we didn't have anything. I mean, we had an ice box out on the back porch. You put ice in it, box of ice. But in those years, I was too little to empty the whole thing and my mother couldn't empty it. Daddy was overseas, so the water just drained out onto the floor. But it didn't matter because the floor was so full of holes, it just went out into the ground. And I asked my mother one time, I said, Mom, are we poor? She said, no. I said, why not? She said, because we have love. Well, I didn't understand what love was. I didn't understand the love of God. 
how is love going to keep us fed and clothed? We had no car. We had no refrigerator. We had no home. We lived with her parents, uh, my mother and my sister. Now, a lot, of, a lot of families did that during the war. And so I grew up with that poverty. My daddy reinforced that one time when he told me, he said, son, you have a champagne taste with a beer pocketbook. I never forgot that. That went into me. That hurt. I didn't, I don't mean I was hurt by it at the time. It hurt me because all my life that always came back to me. Champagne taste, beer pocketbook. Can't afford anything. So when I began to find out what the Bible said about how God wants to bless us, and, and, and my wife got a hold of giving quicker than I did. She got more, well, she'd give everything in a minute. I mean, anything and everything. She was a giver. We first started in the ministry, we didn't, there was a, a week came by, we didn't have money to buy groceries. There was a knock on our door. Went to the door, there was a lady there. Now, this was before cell phones, and she said, my husband's a traveling salesman. He stopped at a payphone and called me and said, the Caldwell family needs $50. Take it to them today. Wow. I was so blessed. $50. In those days, I'd buy five sacks of groceries. $50. What blessed me was God knew where I lived. I took that $50, thanked her for it. Man, we went, I was smiling, shouting, praising the Lord. And my wife said, now the first thing we need to do is give the tithe. I said, the tithe? <laughs> we hadn't had it long, <laughs> you know. But she's a giver still to this day. And so we had to learn how to trust God to supply our need. Now, let's go on reading verse 5. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. I also have the privilege of uh, enjoying fellowship and ministry with men like Kenneth E. Hagin, Lester Summerall, Will Roberts, different ones, T.L. Osborne. And I learned something about these men. These men were spiritual men. Brother Hagen walked in the spirit. Uh, Keith Moore told me sometime he worked for Brother Hagen's healing school. He said, you know, he said people were afraid to come out of their office when Brother Hagen was walking down the hall because they, they were afraid that he might discern something about them. <laughs> Brother Hagen had his mischievous side. He, he liked to pinch people. Some people said he had a pension demon. <laughs> Wanted to cast it out of him. But he said, no, I, I like that one. I want to keep that one. <laughs> he pinched my wife one time. And boy, she, she slapped him. I said, honey, you don't slap the prophet. I mean, she didn't slap him in the face. She slapped him on the shirt. said, ouch. And she hauled off him. He just laughed. One time we were doing an ICFM convention in Fort Worth. I'm sorry, St. Louis and Bob Nichols uh, was, was there and Bob was sitting at another table. We were down eating breakfast and Bob was sitting at another table. And Brother Hagin and I were sitting at this one table and I watched Brother Hagin. He reached over and he tore off a piece of his napkin and he dipped it in his water glass and made a spit wad. And I thought, what is the prophet of God going to do with this? He looked around. 
Nobody was looking. He threw that spit wad and hit Bob right behind the ear. <laughs> of course, Bob jumped and he turned around and Brother Higgins just went. <laughs> so he had, he had a human side, but he never allowed the flesh to dominate the spirit. Some people have educated their minds at the expense of their hearts, their spirits. What you and I want to do is to be the manner of man that we're supposed to be. We want to build in our spirit man, the hidden man of the heart, the things of God, so that we are led by the spirit, that we mind the spirit, not the flesh. Like one old boy said, I had three chances to sin today and passed two of them up. <laughs> well, you could have passed all three of them up. Why did you do it? I wanted to. To be carnally minded, verse 6, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay, let me close with this. How do we let the spirit man rule? Now, tomorrow morning in the morning session, I'm going to give you the key ingredient. <laughs> the key ingredient to walking in the spirit. But how do we let the spirit man rule? Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit, excuse me, as as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How many sons of God do we have? We're to be led by the Spirit of God. We're not to be led by our emotions. How many of you know men and women are different? Not many of you. I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about mentally, emotionally, right brain, left brain, you know, wives come home, their husbands are watching a ball game, reading the paper, and the wife wants to talk, and the wife says 10 times more words than the husband. Some of y'all are going to get home after this weekend, your wife's going to say, well, how was it? And your response is going to be, fine, <laughs> and that'll be it. But if your wife goes to a ladies' meeting and comes home, you ask her how it was, you better be ready for the next hour to hear everything. <laughs> They're very detailed. And the wife says, my husband doesn't pay attention to me. Well, there is, there, there is a consolation here. Men are wired differently than women so that men really, if they're reading the newspaper, they really can't listen to you and read at the same time. They really can't watch a ball game and listen to you at the same time. So you have to turn the ball game off, put the newspaper down. Man has a one-track mind. My, my wife said after church one Sunday, she said, let's go out and eat. Uh, I said, where do you want to go? She said, let's go to Red Lobster. Now, the mind, the man's mind, I know where Red Lobster is. I know how to get there. So I set my mental GPS go out of the church parking lot, going down the street. I know I'm going to go down, turn left, turn right. On the way down the hill, she changes her mind and says, oh, we passed Fu Lin's, a Chinese restaurant. And she said, oh, let's just go into Fu Lin's. And I'm like, you can't do that. You can't just change your mind like that. I mean, we're going to Red Lobster. Now you want to go to Fu Lin's. Mm. That's the difference between men and women. But you have to learn to be led by your spirit, not by your flesh. I tell you, when I learned this, 
We hadn't had a disagreement or an argument in our home, in our marriage, and we've been married 45 years. We, we have not had any dis in, I can't even remember, decades. Why? Because you learn to walk in the Spirit. And I'm quite sure my wife had more to learn, I mean more to put up with, than I did. <laughs> well, say amen or oh me. Okay, let's keep reading here. Verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, let me say this. Multiculturalism says we're all children of God. We are not all children of God. We're all creations of God. But you can't be a child of God until you're born into the family. So you have to be born again to be a child of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so, we suffered with Him, our identity on the cross that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed uh, in, in us. Now, I want to go over to Hebrews 12 and verse 5 and deal with something I think will help you. It, it, it helps Christians to understand this. The spirit man walks after the spirit, not the flesh. We are spirit beings. We have souls and we live in bodies. Hebrews 12, verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. There are different variations of people's beliefs about the chastening of the Lord. Some people think he chastens with cancer and sickness and disease and hurricanes and car wrecks. Not true, not biblical. Faint not when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. The word chasten there means to correct by instruction. My father used to correct me by instruction. But if there was a stronger need to get my attention, he would correct me with a spanking. He would stimulate my thinking. <laughs> For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receives. Now listen to this. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, all sons, then are you bastards and not sons. Illegitimate. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh. This is the key to understanding this. We've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. I did mine. Shall we not much rather be in subjection under the Father of spirits and live? Well, how does your heavenly Father correct you? He don't beat on you. He don't give you cancer. He doesn't slap you around. For they are earthly fathers, verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, or, or as it seemed fit to them. But he, our spiritual father, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. 
No chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised by it. Now, if you want a, a, a supportive scripture to this, go over to 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. And it talks about the chastening of the Lord. When you're rebuked of him, it says, And godly sorrow worketh repentance that you might not receive any damage. And I have found that repentance is a beautiful word and a beautiful opportunity, and I thank God for it because I've been corrected so many times. As a pastor, I learned so many lessons from the Lord. I was dedicating a, a baby one time, and the baby had just sold its diapers just as they handed it to me. And I, you know, made some stupid remark like, boy... Uh, why didn't you change this baby before you brought him? Well, it totally offended the parents and the grandparents and everybody. Said, <gasps> so the Lord said, before you leave today, you apologize to that family. You repent. You ask them to forgive you. I did right there. I asked the congregation to forgive me. I asked the family to forgive me. I repented. And the Lord told me, he said, if you make a mistake publicly, you apologize publicly. If you make a mistake privately, you can apologize privately. So I tried to make as few mistakes publicly as possible. <laughs> it's easier on the flesh. But if you can't control your flesh, you're not walking in the spirit. The spirit man does not have ascendancy. How does the Holy Spirit lead us? In John 14, Jesus made it very clear that when he left, he was sending the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16. I will pray the Father, he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Verse 26. The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I've said unto you. I teach the third year ministry students this. One day as I was preparing for the ministry and the Lord told me to resign my job. Now that, that was not hard for me to do because when I got saved, I was in the liquor business. I sold liquor to all the bars, package stores. Uh, I enjoyed my job and my product. I was my best customer. And when I got saved, that desire for alcohol that I had had, all I can, the only way I can explain it, it was gone. It just wasn't there. I didn't go through any withdrawals, deliverance. It just was gone. It was taken away and never had any desire for it since. It wasn't a temptation. It was just gone. God just took it away. Well, I didn't want to be in the business, but I had a family to support. And the Lord told me to stay there and minister to people in the liquor stores. <laughs> and I did. I'd go in and I'd say, I got 86, 90, and 100 proof. I got two kinds of spirits. Which one you want to hear about first? <laughs> and I'd tell them about Jesus. Some of them got saved. I preached some of them's funeral. People tell me, I can't live for God where I work. Oh, I don't buy that. Because I live for God where I work. And it was the pits. But as I began to grow in the spirit, as I, I, I began to, to learn the things of God. And God said, I want you to resign your job now. I'm calling you into the ministry. 
Instead of going to work eight hours a day, I want you to go into your little office there, and I want you to, there were no Bible schools like this. I mean, my, Karis Bible College is a premier Bible college. If you're not a part of it, you need to be. It is absolutely one of the freshest, uh, most anointed uh, Bible colleges in the world today. And uh, I would encourage you to pray for it, support it, and be a part of it. Amen. If this had been here, when, when Andrew and I were starting out, I mean, if this had been here, we'd have been here. But there wasn't any place. So the Lord said, you go into your office eight hours a day instead of going to work five days a week. And he said, you take a correspondence course, which I did. And one day the Lord said, now today's lesson, I'm going to teach you the most important thing you'll ever learn. But what I'm going to say to you is not going to be all that important. And I thought, wow, that sounds like God, doesn't it? I'm going to teach you the most important thing you'll ever learn. But what I'm going to say is not going to be all that important. He said, kneel down beside the bed here. And he said, I'm just going to talk to you all day. Talk to me. Yeah. So I nailed down. He just started talking just like I'm talking to you. And for hours, he just talked to me and talked to me. And I just listened. I mean, you know, a lot of times we're doing too much talking. We need to let him talk. And he just talked and he talked and he talked. He said, what I'm teaching you today is to recognize my voice. I'll never forget that voice. I'll never forget. And I'm talking about my spirit, my spirit, man. I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm talking about in my spirit, I know how to hear God's voice. It has served me, man. Because Jesus said, I want you to know the Holy Spirit like I know the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus didn't do miracles because he was the son of God. He did miracles because he was a man anointed with the Holy Ghost. Go over to John 16. Verse 13. John 16, verse 13. Uh, have I already read that? No. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. Hmm. I, I can paraphrase this. He'll keep you out of messes. He'll keep you out of mistakes. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me, ministers, businessmen. I have a, a, a get-rich-quick scheme. I have this. I have that. Uh, God said this. I said, well, I, I just don't believe that's for me. Turned out they wound up in prison. The Holy Spirit said, stay away from that. Don't go there. Everything that looks like a rose is not a rose. But the Holy Spirit is the one that shows you what to do what not to do. That's letting the spirit man rule. And um, if you go over to Acts 16, you'll find practical examples of this in uh, the Apostle Paul's ministry, Acts 16, 5. So were the churches established in the faith and increased in the number daily. When they'd gone through Phrygia and the regions of Galatia and were forbidden by the elders to preach the word in Asia. Is that what it says? No. Forbidden by the Holy Ghost. Well, you'd think the Holy Ghost would want them to preach everywhere. 
Verse 7, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit allowed them not. Every church that is on the planet, God didn't start. I know that sounds funny. It was a good idea. It was a denominational idea. It was man's idea. But every church, I used to think when I got saved, I went to church, I thought everybody in church was saved. I thought everybody was a Christian. I thought everybody loved God. I found out that wasn't the case. It was a rude awakening for me. <laughs> Still is sometimes. Brother Jesse was preaching in Bill Winston's church a few months ago. You might have seen it. It was live on the uh, internet. And uh, he was telling the story about how he was in the church. And he said, they had to have a flashlight to take me to my seat. He said, there was so much darkness and smoke and everything. He said, it was like a nightclub. He said, I couldn't even walk. Had to have a... And they sat me down there. And I thought, what in the world are they doing? They're trying to create an atmosphere. Daniel, you create the atmosphere by worshiping God and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, not by smoke and mirrors. And then he said, and after the service was over, the pastor told him, he said, now, Brother Jesse, he said, uh, after the service, we're all going out to a nightclub and we're just going to have a few drinks. He said, but now we don't get drunk, but we just have a few drinks. Would you like to join us? <laughs> they asked the wrong guy. <laughs> he said, absolutely not. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, tell him this. He said, well... Y'all going to go out and have a few drinks? He said, how about uh, we just go in the back room? He says, that's your wife? Yeah. He said, how about we go in the back room just messing around a little bit? He said, we won't do anything seriously. We'll just play around. The guy was, in, he was highly offended. What do you mean? He said, what's the difference? He said, you're going out drinking. You know, you remember the guys that went to Jesus and said, Master, we've prophesied in your name. We've cast out devils in your name. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. I struggled with that for years. I thought, Jesus, how could you say you never knew them? They cast out devils in your name. They prophesied in your name. One day I was reading that again, asking the Holy Spirit to give me understanding. And he said, it's real easy, son. They lied. They didn't do any of those things. They lied. And then I said, Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost. People lie. I know that's hard for you and I to believe, but there are Christians that lie. There are Christians that are thieves. Do I dare go there? No. Anyway, the Holy Ghost said in verse 10, after he'd seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuring, assuredly gathering that the Lord hath called us to preach the gospel unto them. One last scripture in James chapter 1. So the Holy Ghost was leading Paul everywhere he went. James chapter 1 verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, Deceiving your own selves. Now, there's one thing to hear the word, another thing to do the word. When you leave this men's conference, this men's advance, uh, you're responsible now to take what you've heard and go apply it in your life and family. 
You become a man of the spirit, not a man of the flesh. Verse 23, so if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And we all did that this morning, right? We all looked in the mirror. Behold what manner of man we are. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. If you don't do the word, if all you do is hear the word, now faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But if all you do is hear it, you'll get spiritually fat. But if you never do it, you'll never become the manner of man that you're supposed to be. Andrew and Jamie took the word of the Lord that was given to them and endeavored to do it. And that's why we are here on this property today. Now my question to you is, amen. What manner of man are you? Are you a spiritual man? Or are you a flesh man? Are you a carnal man? I've heard ministers say that the one problem that they have to deal with is temper, anger. That carnal man, that man of the flesh rises up. That can get you in trouble. I have one friend out in California. He's in heaven today, but when he got saved, he and I got saved at the same time. Uh, he, he was a big drinker. And uh, after he got saved, he went to church. He told the pastor, he said, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I'll do whatever you need. Clean commodes, mow the yard, whatever. He said in the first Sunday, they made him an usher, and he got in a fight in the parking lot. <laughs> he realized he had a long way to go. But he became a very spiritual man. May I pray over you, Father? I thank you for your anointing today. I thank you that it's the anointing that destroys the yokes and removes the burdens. And Father, we all endeavor to become spiritual men, not carnal men, not fleshly men. What manner of man are we? We're God men. We're Jesus men. We're the men of the spirit, not of the flesh. And we desire to walk in the spirit. Can we all stand just a minute? Uh, Philip, if you would come at this time. Can we all just stand and lift up our hands and pray this prayer out loud? Heavenly Father, I am the redeemed. And I desire to be a man of the Spirit. Not a man of the flesh. So I ask you now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to teach me. To reveal to me how to become a man of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. I turn and uh, greet somebody and say, I'm a man of the Spirit and not of the flesh. Hallelujah. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net 
Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.